Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. We're going to continue our way through this great book of the Bible. Next week, we'll look at one of my favorite passages. I I think I say that often. I have a lot of favorite passages in the Bible, but a great passage, and it really gets introduced to us this morning as we look at the light of the gospel. I know I need to be away sometimes, but I'm always so glad to be back, and I'm glad to be back now. So let's open our Bibles, 2 Corinthians. By the way, if you're watching online, will you open your Bible with us and follow along and take some notes, and let's read these verses together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's talk about what it means to understand the light of the gospel. Light's an amazing thing. It drives out darkness. It's, uh, it changes our perspective. Light travels so incredibly fast, 186,000 miles per second, not per hour. That would be way too slow, 168,000 miles per second. It's an amazing uh, thing that God created for us. And the Bible often describes the gospel as light or God's truth as light for us. So let's note four principles about the gospel, about the light of the gospel. And if you'll write these four things down, you can kind of follow along. Number one, would you note the light of the gospel points to perseverance? It points to perseverance. Now, the Bible tells us often that we need to persevere. We do not give up, verse one says. We do not give up. We don't lose heart, the Bible is saying. We don't give up. We don't lose heart. Well, why would the Bible say that? Because we live in a world where there are plenty of problems, and so we need perseverance. We have a tendency to give up. We want to lose heart. Some of you are probably here, and you're in danger of giving up, and you're, you want to lose heart, and God reminds you to persevere. Uh, there are problems in our world. It's a fallen world. And so because it's fallen, because it's been affected by sin, there are plenty of problems in our world. Struggles and difficulties and challenges and some of you are facing problems because you have yourself made some terrible mistake, made some wrong choice, or in some cases, someone else made a choice that affected you and harmed you and damaged you, or sometimes just living in the world. I mean, for no other reason than the fact that we're living in this fallen world, circumstances happen, problems come, difficulties come, and so the Lord reminds us not to give up and not to lose heart. And I want to encourage you to write down two words here from verse 1 that kind of instruct us in this about the need for perseverance. The first is the word mercy. Mercy. The Bible tells us we have this ministry because we've been, we were shown mercy. We were shown mercy. Now, mercy is saying to us, God doesn't owe us anything. Did you know that? This is going to come to, as a shock to you because you've lived in this age and generation. If you're not if you're not careful, you're going to think somehow God owes you something and that you, de- you deserve something more. You deserve God's love. 
And you will never under, you'll never appreciate the gospel unless you re- kind of recognize how little you deserve it. You're never going to appreciate God's love unless you see you don't really deserve God's love. And he doesn't love you because you're so good, you deserve it. In fact, we're the ones with the debt. We're the ones with the debt. And Christ came to pay our debt. It's not that God owes us, or we might say we don't deserve God's love. Mercy is teaching us this fact that God loves us despite the fact that we don't deserve it and despite the fact that he doesn't owe us anything. And in the previous chapter, some weeks ago, when we were back in chapter 3, we noted that the, the law pointed out to us condemnation, that God is holy and that none of us are holy, that God is calling us to perfection and none of us reach that standard and all of us have sinned against God and God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't save us because we deserve it. We, he doesn't love us because we've done so much to merit it. It wouldn't be mercy if we deserve God's love. It wouldn't be mercy if God owed us, but it's mercy because God doesn't. We've sinned against God who is holy. We've broken his commandments. We've gone our own way, and yet God loves us. Despite the fact that God knows full well our sinfulness, and he knows how little we deserve it, and yet God loves us. Christ loved us even though we didn't deserve it, and Christ went to the cross even though we didn't merit that. That's mercy, and you'll never appreciate God's love if you somehow miss this. And I think a lot of Christians have somehow sort of thought, you know, God's lucky to have me, and he owes me his blessings, and I deserve all the good that God gives to me, and they've never understood this concept of mercy, and they've little appreciated what God has done for them, and they have never understood this great truth that God loves us, though we don't deserve one bit of that. Now, there's another word I want you to write down, and that's the word ministry. Ministry. The Bible says, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. A ministry is the natural result of mercy. So when we recognize that God loves us, though we don't deserve it, and God cares about us, though we didn't earn it, ministry is the natural response to that. We say, I'm going to serve God because God loves me. And I didn't deserve God's love, but God loved me, and I'm going to love other people who don't deserve God's love either. And I'm going to choose to serve other people and not just what's in it for me. And I think if you have this attitude that you deserve something from God, you'll never find service to be meaningful. But when you recognize how little you deserve God's love and how thankful you are for God's love, then the natural response is to say, I want to love other people like that. I want to serve people who don't deserve it. I'm going to care for others and not just myself. And there's a power to ministry. There's a joy in ministry. And God wants you to be involved in ministry. I think perhaps many who name the name of Christ have never considered that what God wants from us is not for us just to be blessed and to have God's blessing, but he wants us to be a blessing to others. And he wants the mercy that he has shown to us to be the very thing that we give to others. And so that's really at the heart of what ministry is. Ministry is about serving others and caring for others and thinking about others and not just ourselves. And so therefore, ministry needs perseverance. We do not give up. He's speaking specifically about ministry. We don't lose heart. Specifically speaking of ministry, because ministry involves people. And every one of you life group teachers, 
know that ministry involves people who sometimes fall short and fail just like you have. Every one of you who's ever taught a vacation Bible school class knows something of the difficulty. If you've ever tried to share your faith, you know something of the difficulty. You know how sacrifice can be hard and ministry needs perseverance. And the light of the gospel always points us to perseverance. So Vicki and I uh, last month went uh, to Yellowstone. All of them, for, you know, for decades I've wanted to go to Yellowstone. I love the animal shows and things and I wanted to go to Yellowstone. And so finally this summer we got to do that. And when you drive through Yellowstone, there are mountains. There's a lot of mountain driving. And we went through then the Grand Tetons on the south side of that. And there's a lot of mountain driving. And I've always been kind of scared of heights. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I've had that little nervousness with heights. And, uh, you know, especially in a really steep place where there's a plunging cliff or the, you know, that feeling of maybe falling. Vicki doesn't get nervous about it. She can look over the cliff, which terrifies me. I just don't like that feeling at all. Some of you don't understand it, but I bet there's some of you. So are some of you with me? You know, you're a little bit nervous about heights. You get a little bit just uneasy feeling. You know, God bless you. I mean, we're in this together and I'm getting better, but I, we were driving on some mountainous roads and we went some the scenic way a couple of times and there were some twists and turns and sometimes guardrails and sometimes not and sometimes steep and sometimes plunging, you know, plunging deep, falling, falling, falling sensation that you that you worry about and and the moments when it was the most treacherous and the most you know terrifying for me Vicky would often in a well-meaning attempt she would say how are you doing and I are you doing okay what should I not be I mean is there something I don't know is it worse than I think am I going to be plunging over the cliff now at any second I mean should I not be okay and I could, miss, I could miss all of that feeling, all of that nervousness by just staying in the flatlands. But I'd miss the mountains. I'd miss the mountains. And you could miss all the pain that comes with ministry, all the pain of sacrifice. You know, it's easier not to give than to give. It's easier not to serve than to serve. It's easier not to teach than to teach. It's easier not to share the gospel than to share the gospel. And you could miss all the pain that comes with ministry with dealing with people who are broken and broken lives and, and the unpopularity of the gospel message and all that comes with it. You could miss all of that by not being involved in ministry. But you'd miss the ministry. You'd miss the ministry. And God is calling you to persevere. And he's saying you don't just persevere when things are going well, but you stay at the task because it's so big. This message of the gospel is so great. It's always pointing us it's always pointing us to perseverance. There's a second principle I'd like you to note with me. The light of the gospel leads to holiness. It always leads to holiness. The gospel always calls us to holiness. God cares about holiness. So let's go back to verse 2. The Bible says, Instead we have renounced secret and shameful things. And the Bible is talking to us here about activities that are that we want to hide because we recognize the sinfulness of it. And when we live in a culture that has, has had its conscience seared in many ways, we don't know right from wrong, much of our culture doesn't. But if you know enough about the things of God and enough of God's word to know right from wrong, there's a, a, a sense in which we want to hide the shameful activities. And there's a, a few things I want you to note here. First, would you note sin always leads to pain and shame and hurt. It always leads there. It always leads there. It might start a little easier. It doesn't, it doesn't always appear that it's heading in that direction, but that's always the destination. 
It's going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to shame. It's going to lead to hurt. That's where sin leads. God tells us the truth. God calls us to holiness because he wants us to avoid that shame, that pain, and that hurt. God wants us to experience the life he has for us. And so he reminds us of this danger. And sin is always going to lead us to pain and to shame and the hurt. And the gospel always leads to holiness. It always leads to holiness. God's way is always the way of obedience and holiness and righteousness. It's always that. God, God cares deeply about it. Now, we're not saved by our good works. This is a common misunderstanding of the message of the gospel. Many people say, boy, if I can just work hard enough, I'll try to be good. I'll get to heaven by doing enough good things. And, of course, I do a lot of good things. I have a lot of nice things about my life. And that's how I'll get to heaven, by doing enough good things. The point of the gospel is you can't do enough good things. We wouldn't need mercy if that's the way you could get to heaven. None of us can get to heaven on our own merit. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We can't be saved by our good actions. We can't be good enough. We're saved by trusting the good action of Jesus on the cross of Calvary on our behalf, not our good actions. We're saved by the good action of Christ in the resurrection, not by our good works. But having said that, we're not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. We are saved for good works. That is, God saves us by his power and by his goodness and not ours. But he always saves us for and to good works and to holiness. And God will always care about holiness. So let's just talk for a moment about shame. Boy, we're, we, we want to remove guilt and pain and shame from life. It's unpleasant. We don't like the feeling of shame or guilt or pain, but can have a useful purpose. If you're a note taker, you might want to write down this sentence. I'm going to stop right in the middle of the sentence, but write this first half down and then stay with me for the second half. Only Jesus' blood can remove the shame of sin. That's not the end of the sentence, but just stop there for a moment with me. Only Jesus' blood can remove the shame of sin. So sin does bring shame and pain and hurt. And only Jesus' blood can remove that. His sacrifice is the only sacrifice great enough to remove the shame of my sin. I can't. If I died, it'd be for my sins. But Christ gave his blood, the one who had never sinned, the only holy one who has ever lived, gave his life for me. And by his blood, my debt could be paid. He paid my penalty. He paid my debt. And only Jesus' blood can remove the shame of sin. Now, I said that's the first half of the sentence. Write down the rest. Only Jesus' blood can remove the shame of sin. But it fully removes. But it fully removes. So I can't remove shame just by redefining it or ignoring it or pretending it's not there or saying sin isn't sin, or self-medicating, or getting drunk enough to forget about it. None of those things removes the shame and sting and pain and hurt of sin. Only Jesus' blood can do that. But I want you to know Jesus' blood can do that. His blood can do that. So whatever sin you have in your past, that if you were thinking rightly, if you were, 
if you could see the truth about the sinfulness of sin, whatever it is in your past, Jesus' blood is sufficient to forgive that sin. Jesus' blood is sufficient to forgive that sin. Some of you feel shame over your past, though you've brought it to God and found forgiveness and you've repented of it, and I'm telling you, the Lord can remove that burden and you don't have to carry that shame any longer. And the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can be fully forgiven. Learn from your past. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your failures. But you don't have to live in them. You don't have to carry those sins. You don't have to carry that burden. You can, you can understand that Jesus paid the price for that and he can fully remove that sin. Some of you are carrying the shame of what someone else did. Someone harmed you or wronged you and you don't have to carry that shame. You don't have to carry that burden. You don't have, the Lord is able to deliver you. You don't have to live in perpetual victimhood. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can have life and victory in the Lord Jesus. I am thankful for the blood of Jesus that makes that possible. The light of the gospel always leads to holiness. And God does what seems impossible for us. He takes sinful people like us. He forgives us in salvation. If you'll trust Christ as Savior, he'll forgive you. And he gives us life and meaning and purpose. He removes all the burdens. I, I saw this uh, story about the Olympics. Uh, there was a gold, the first gold medal for um, any woman weightlifter from the Philippines. And a gold medal from a lady in the Philippines. I just kind of perked up when I saw this was a lady from the Philippines. We have several people in our church who have a heritage. Um, their heritage involves the Philippines. And so I just perked up. By the way, I didn't see any of them in the Olympics. I mean, some of them have really let us down. And, but this lady, this lady, um, her name is Hildelin, Hildelin maybe, Diaz. And she, she's in the Air Force in the Philippines. I'm going to expect more out of you uh, Air Force uh, folks from now on. And four years from now, the Olympics are coming again. We're going to expect you to, you know, get in shape and represent our country well. This Air Force lady, she's, she's just a little, I saw the replay of the video of this woman. She's not a big lady at all. And she just lifted this huge weight, way more than she weighs, over her head. It was, it was fantastic. It was amazing. It seems impossible. Well, here's what the Lord does for us. The Lord takes this burden. Some of us think, well, I can carry my burdens. I'll carry my past. I'll carry the pain. I'll just cover it. I'll self-medicate. And I'll carry that on me. And, and, and at some point, you know, it gets so heavy. I mean, if it's, just a, if it's just, you know, 20 pounds, maybe you can handle that. Maybe 50 pounds. Some of you, 100 pounds. But at some point, it gets so astronomical. It's beyond our ability. And so we bring the pain and shame and hurt of our own failures and mistakes and sins and it just crushes us, and the enemy loves that. But the Lord does what's impossible for us, and he doesn't just say, hey, you pick that, pick that up and do the best you can. He says, I'll carry that for you. And Christ went to the cross on our behalf, and he took the burden of our sin, and he took the burden of our shame. He took it upon himself and died in our place on that cross, and he can give full and absolute forgiveness of sins. And if you've never trusted him as Savior, I'm going to ask you today to give your life to Christ. But Christian, he can lead you to holiness as well. He wants you to live a holy life, a Christ-like life, and, and he'll remove all the stain and sting of your past and give you a life worth living and, a, and a, a righteousness and holiness that comes through the blood of Jesus. There's a third principle I'd like you to know. Would you write this down? The light of the gospel shows us truth. 
One of the things light does is to help us to see things as they are. And the light of the gospel shows us truth. Verse 2 says, um, instead we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God. We want to teach God's word carefully and clearly and accurately. We're not trying to trick, we can't trick people into the kingdom of God. And so we want to tell the truth. The gospel always tells the truth, even the unpopular parts. You know, did you know some of the gospel is kind of unpopular right now? It's not very popular to call sin, sin. But God tells us the truth because it's in our best interest. Even the unpopular parts. We want to say, it's popular now to say, you don't need anything, you can do it on your own, just have positive thinking and think. And the Lord says, you, you need Christ and he's the only one who can save you and you can't save yourself and no one else can do this for you. And even the unpopular parts, the gospel tells us the truth. And the Bible says, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. An open display of the truth. That's really what the gospel does. It reveals the truth. Sometimes I get up at night. You know, you get to a certain age, you get up at night. And so in the middle of the night, I get up and, and I don't want to turn the light on because Vicky's asleep. And, I, and so I stumble along. And sometimes because of that, I may stub my toe on a corner or something because I can't see it very well. Now, I could rectify that problem. I'm not going to turn the light on in the middle of the night because I care about my wife. But uh, if I turn the light on, suddenly I can see every obstacle and every problem and everything to avoid. And that's the that's what the gospel does. It's an open display of the truth. It's an open display of the truth. It tells us things as they are. It tells us the dangers and the pitfalls and the mistakes and the failures. It, it shows us, it warns us and guides us and instructs us and teaches us and admonishes us. And I'm thankful for that. It's one of the reasons why we so often say as a church, we want to open God's word when we gather together for worship, and we want to study God's Word in our small group Bible studies we call life groups, and we want to read the Bible for ourselves, and I encourage you to read the New Testament for yourself many times, and, and then begin to read the whole Bible for yourself and get to know it, and over time you'll begin to put it together better and understand it more fully, and, and I want you to know the truth, and the gospel helps us to see the truth. It helps us to see life as it is. Many of God's purposes and plans for your life are seen openly in the Bible. You just perhaps don't know it yet. God tells us the truth in his word, but you've never seen it. God wants to shine the light of his purposes and plans for you from his word and through his word for your life. And the light of the gospel shows us truth. Now, there's a fourth principle I'd like you to know. Would you note this principle? The light of the gospel calls to Jesus. The light of the gospel calls to Jesus. So let's work our way through these last three verses, verses four and five and six. The Bible says in verse 4, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this age, the culture, the enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So we are distracted from the truth. We just ignore the truth. We redefine the truth. And so the enemy is really good at this, and he just blinds us to the truth. And there are many people who are just blind as can be about spiritual matters. And our culture is increasingly, increasingly struggling with clear sight. And it's hard for us to 
recognize right from wrong. Now listen, you, you uh, young, really young folks here, listen, every culture has this struggle. And every generation has to go through this battle. But you're living in a day, in an age, where there's been a blindness to spiritual reality. Where we can't call right wrong or wrong right, and we have to pretend that what God says doesn't really matter, and we fight against the God who created the universe. That's this generation. And you're growing up in a generation that said there is no such thing as truth. It's whatever I feel, whatever I think, and whatever I want. And listen, what you feel and what you think and what you want does not change the truth. The gospel reveals the truth. It just shows us the truth. It doesn't, it's not based on our feelings. It's not based on what we want or what we like or what's popular or what might get voted on if we had an election about it. The truth is true because it's true. And God made, God tells us the truth and teaches us the truth. And so many are spiritually blinded. And so it keeps them, the Bible says, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So they can't see in their blinded state the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Christ is the image of God. It's the means by which we see who God is and what God wants and what God is doing. But many people are blinded to the glory of Christ. They see Jesus as just maybe a teacher long ago or someone who just kind of gets in their way, keeps them from doing what they want to do, and they're missing the image of God himself. Verse 5 says, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Verse 5 is saying Christ is the light, not us. Church life is not about the pastor. It's not about your life group teacher. Any strong, wise, biblical life group teacher is going to recognize that it is not about them. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We are proclaiming, not ourselves, Paul said. It's not about us. What we look at, look at me, look how great I am. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the goal of our church, to proclaim Christ. Now, we have good and godly people who try to set an example, try to live out their faith, but they're, every one of them, frail and fragile. And so we're pointing beyond the frail and the fragile of this world. And next week, next Sunday, I'll talk about this in more detail. It's one of these great passages in the Bible. I think you, I hope you'll be able to join us. But we're going to point people not to, not to, others and say, well, you just need to be like them, but we're going to point them beyond that to Christ as Lord. And we want people to follow Jesus. Our church wants people to follow Jesus. We want you to follow his plan and his purposes and his direction. He's the perfect one. He's the one who can save. He's the one who can forgive. He's the one who can change. And Christ is the light and not us. And then note verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Aren't you grateful, aren't you grateful for a God who can just speak? light into existence. Our God's, big, our God's big enough to do that. He can speak light into existence. So whatever problem you brought here with you today, it's not too big for God. Maybe too big for you, but it's not too big for God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So Christ didn't just make the world and let it go, but he got intimately involved, personally involved in the lives of people. And when you give your life to Christ, Christ lives in you. And we can see the glory of God himself in the face of Christ. So that when we're looking at Christ and reading the words of Christ and following the lordship of Christ, we're seeing the glory and the greatness and the majesty of a sovereign God who could create the entire universe at his spoken word. 
Christ gives the light to people like us, and we can accomplish his purposes because of his power working in us and through us. It's the light of the gospel that calls to Jesus. Some of you may have heard of the name of Satchel Paige. Satchel Paige was a great baseball player back in the old days. Played in the major leagues at the very end of his career. But most of the time he was playing in the days of the dark days of segregation in our society. And he played in what was called the Negro Leagues. And um, eventually played the, as an older man, pitched in the major leagues. Really through thousands and thousands and thousands of innings. Really interesting man, lots of great stories. And he told a story about the guy he said was the fastest baseball player that he ever saw. A guy named James Bell, or we know him as James Cool Papa Bell. Cool Papa Bell. If you're looking for a good nickname, Cool Papa is a great nickname. And Cool Papa Bell, here's what Satchel Page said about Cool Papa Bell. He said he was so fast, he could turn off the light and be in bed before it got dark. That's pretty fast. Now, that sounds like a tall tale because no one can, 186,000 miles every second, how could, but there was some truth to that statement because while Cool Papa Bell was really fast, he and Satchel Page sometimes shared a motel room in cities where they were traveling. It was a particular place that had a short in the light switch so that he could turn the light off and it took a couple of seconds before the light would actually go off. And so he could literally turn the light switch off and get in bed before it got dark. Well, listen, God is so great. He is so great that he can take broken, fragile lives like ours and do something great with them. He is so great that he can take sinful, fallen people like us and use us to accomplish his purposes. God is so great. He can forgive us of our sins and give us a new heart on the inside to replace this hard, stony heart that we have spiritually in rebellion against God and give us a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit, a new, a new life, a new purpose and a new direction. God is so great. He can do all of that. That's what the gospel is all about, what God can do. This great God who can do great things in the lives of frail people like us. God can do that in your life. Some of you need to be saved. You need to be saved. And you thought, I'm going to carry the burdens myself, or I'm going to work hard enough on my own. But the gospel says you can't carry them on your own, and you can't get to heaven on your own, and you need Christ. Some of you have given your life to Christ, but the reality is that the light of the gospel has almost been forgotten. You've almost pushed it aside, and you've looked at the darkness of this world more than the light of the gospel that God has for you. And I ask you today to make things right with God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, if you've never given your life to Christ, maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now that you need to be saved. And right where, you're, right where you are, online or in person today, you can give your life to Christ and you can be saved. Would you just do this? Would you say, God, I know I've sinned against you. Just acknowledge that. You know it, and God knows it. I've sinned against you. You don't have to hide from it, ignore it, pretend it away. God, I've sinned against you. You are holy, and I'm not. But I believe you loved me anyway, despite my sinfulness. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to live the life I couldn't live, that perfect life. And Jesus died the death I deserved on that cross. Christ died for me. And Jesus rose from the, from the dead to 
to give me the miracle that I need. And so right here and now, as best I know how, I turn from my sin and I give my life to Christ and I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. We're going to want you to grow in your faith and follow the Lord. But if you gave your life to Christ, the Bible says that's the biggest decision you'll ever make in life. More than any, whatever the world says, this is what matters most. If you had all the treasures of the world, it wouldn't compare to the great treasure of the gospel. And Christian, there's some of you here who know you know Christ as Savior, but the Lord's reminding you about persevering, about not losing heart, not giving up. He's reminding you about his call to holiness, that he saved you for good works. He's reminding you of the truth of the gospel and to know God's word and to follow God's word. And he's reminding you that it's all about Jesus. It's all about glorifying his name and making much of him and not about us, but about him. Would you say, Lord, I want to be used to make a difference and sharing the light of the gospel in this dark world. Father, thank you for your word, the truth, and the power it gives to us. Thank you for the light of the gospel. Thank you that in this dark world, there is light, and it comes from you, and you tell us the truth and show us the way. And Father, we thank you because of that. We can find life and meaning and purpose. We can have salvation and discipleship and mission and purpose. For all of these things, we're thankful. And I'm praying, Father, for some today have given their life to you as Savior, that you will draw them to yourself, help them to take the next steps of discipleship and begin to grow in their faith. Help us to follow you and live for you and serve you, and we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.